praise the Lord. Hallelujah. It's good to see everybody today. Are you blessed? Yes? I didn't ask you if you felt blessed or if you look blessed. I asked you if you are blessed by faith, right? Amen? Thank you, Lord, for your blessings. Good to see you here today. Uh, if you're new to our church, welcome. My name is Greg Johnson. I serve here as lead pastor, and we're so excited that you're here worshiping the Lord with us. Go ahead and greet somebody. Shake a couple hands before you are seated. If you're joining us at Mission Church Online, God bless you. So good to have you with us today as well, worshiping our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. All right. Well, we could take your, take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Revelation. Did you bring your Bible today? Yes? Come on, let me see the Bible. If you brought the Bible, maybe you got a device with an app on it, okay? Good. Always maintain the habit of bringing the Word of God to the house of God. Why do you need to do that? To check me out. Check out the preacher. Make sure that he, she is giving you the Word of God. All right. We are in Revelation. We're chapter 1. We are continuing uh, the, uh, the focus that we started last week. Revelation 1, starting in verse 9. I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ. I was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. And what you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. So as we enter this Christmas season this year, as we celebrate the incarnation and all that it means to us, I want us to remember in these weeks to come that we do not worship a baby in a manger. We worship the risen Christ, who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is not that little Lord Jesus asleep on the hay. He is the mighty God, the great I Am, who is coming again. That's who we worship. And as we read these next few verses here that I want to focus in on, and this vision that John the Apostle had on this prison island of Patmos, we get a true revelation of who Christ is right now and how he is moving in and among and through the church. And we know that this is what this revelation is about because in verse 12, John says, then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me and having turned I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man. Now, verse 20, if you read on in that chapter, tells us that the seven lampstands represent 
the, the seven local churches that are there in that, Asia, that area of Asia Minor. Now, of course, there were much more than seven churches back then, as there are more than seven churches today. But seven are mentioned because the number seven means perfection in the Scriptures. It means completion. So that those seven local churches represent all the churches that have ever been and that ever will, and that Jesus stands in the center of. Hallelujah. It tells us that Christ is at the center of His church. The pastor is not the center. Amen. You can say amen to that. I won't be offended. (laughs) And be careful of pastors who want to make themselves the center of the church. The board is not the center of the church. Amen. The assemblies of God is not the center of the church. Jesus is at the center of His church. And when we gather as a church, and Christ is at the center, and He is the focus of our gathering, there is a unique demonstration of His presence in the church. Now, I've heard some people say, well, you know, I like to worship at home because it's comfortable and it's, and it's convenient. Or I've heard others say, I really feel close to God out there in nature when I'm hiking or I'm hunting or I'm fishing. But let's be clear here. It doesn't say that Christ was at the center of the laptops and the tree stands and the fishing poles. It says that He stands in the midst of what? The church. He's in the midst of of the church. And the church is what happens when God's people meet together to worship Him, to fellowship in His presence, and to hear His words proclaimed. The church is not sitting at home watching other people do those things on a laptop screen. Because something happens when we meet together in His name for worship. He stands in our midst and He manifests His presence. That's why it's so great to gather in the house of God. And if you're watching at Mission Church Online, you're welcome. We're glad that you're here tuning in with us. But you know what? You need to get back to the house of God. You need to get back to church. Amen, church? Because there's nothing like being in the house amidst God's people, worshiping the Lord, where there's a manifestation of His glory in our midst. Amen? And then verse 13, it says that he was clothed with a garment down to his feet and girded about the chest with a golden band. So this band around his chest was a sign of authority, both priestly authority and governmental authority. It's similar to what the high priest would have worn in ancient Jerusalem. And you know, in ancient Jerusalem, the high priest was the highest authority over both religion and the state. So this shows us that our king currently, presently, as as he exists, has all authority in the heavenly realms as our great high priest and has all authority in the earthly realms as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He has authority over you and over me. Amen. Now this concept of authority 
Someone having authority over our lives is something that we must resolve. Because, you know, we Americans, we don't like having authorities over us telling us how to run our lives. Have you noticed that? Amen? Come on, tell the person next to you talking to you right now. We don't like when people tell us how to live, what we can do, what we can't. We're Americans. You know, rebellion is in our DNA. We, our nation was birthed in revolution against authority. So we don't like authorities telling us what we want our freedom, right? Yes, freedom, liberty, right? We want our freedom. We want the freedom to do whatever we want to do. But here's the thing. This doing whatever we want to do is a delusion. It's not true freedom. It's actually bondage. Think about it. The teenager who says to his parents, I want to be free to be an adult and do whatever I want to do. I want to be able to, you know, to smoke cigarettes, for instance, right? I want the freedom to make that choice to smoke cigarettes for myself. But what happens? That teenager ends up addicted and in bondage, right? Or the man says, I want the freedom to go on the internet and watch whatever I want to watch. I want the freedom. I want my liberty to watch pornography if that's what I, I want to watch. But what happens? In exercising his freedom, so to speak, he ends up with uncontrollable sexual addiction. All because he wants his freedom. We think it's freedom. But the freedom to do what you want to do is not freedom. It's actually self-destruction. That's why, now listen, that's why we need a king in our lives. That's why we need an authority who puts up boundaries around us in order to keep us safe. And he says, if you want to be free, if you really want to know joy and peace and liberty, then stay within these boundaries and you will be free. Amen, right? Because our king says, outside of these boundaries, what boundaries? The boundaries of the Word of God. Outside of these boundaries, the flesh rules. The flesh reigns. The carnal cravings that exist in you, if you give them free license, they will overwhelm you and take control of you. Amen. Your fleshly urges will take over. You will actually, you'll think you're free, but you'll lose control and you'll become a slave. A slave to what? A slave to your own internal cravings and carnal urges. Amen. Some of us remember what it was like to be a slave out there thinking that we were free. Does anybody remember that? Right? We said that we were free. We thought that we were you know, doing our, our own thing, but we actually weren't. We were actually being controlled by our own carnal impulses. Because as soon as an idea would enter into your mind, as soon as a thought, a craving would enter into your mind for whatever, a substance, a relationship, something that would feel good, as soon as that craving, that idea would enter your mind, you would fall prey to that craving, you would become bound to that craving, and that craving would take control over you and would lead you into paths of, of destruction. And it wasn't until you came under the authority of the king that you were actually set free. In fact, that's why Jesus said, if the Son sets you free, 
You shall be free indeed. Hallelujah. No longer a slave to the bondages of sin. Amen. Hallelujah. How many want to be free? (laughs) Yes, we need a king in our lives to set us free. And then verse 14, it says that his head and his hair were like wool, as white as snow. So this is a vision that is actually similar to another vision that Daniel had when he saw this image of the Son of God in Daniel chapter 7, verse 9. And he described him as as having hair, pure like wool, and called him the Ancient of Days. The Ancient of Days. You know, in Proverbs chapter 20, verse 29, it says that the splendor of old men is their gray head. Or we could say their bald head, maybe? I don't know. The splendor of old men is their gray. So men, don't try coloring your hair. Right? Just let yourself become splendid. Their gray head, right? Why is that? Because that gray hair, that white hair, is a sign of their years and their experience and their their wisdom. And the reference to white hair on the Son of God speaks of the perfect wisdom of the sovereign, infinite, eternal God. That this is a God whom you can trust. You can trust His wisdom and His sovereignty over your life. It may seem like you are in situations where his, his wisdom, His timing doesn't make any sense. You can't understand it. But this is why Proverbs 3.5 says, We trust in the Lord and lean not on our own understanding. Our ability to trust Him must be independent of our ability to understand what He's doing or what He's not doing, right? Amen. And I thank God that there were times that I wanted God to open doors And he didn't open doors. And then I realized that his delay has a purpose. Hallelujah. Do you realize that? His delays in your life have a purpose. Why? Because God is in control. Amen. Hallelujah. You can trust his sovereign wisdom. His his delay is perfect. It's the perfect timing of God. Romans 8.28 says that he works all things together for the good. And sometimes that delay is that period of time, period of time where God is just working. He's pulling things together. He's moving things out of the way. He's lining people up. And if he were to move according to your timetable, then you would be moving too soon and missing out on certain doors that would open at a very opportune time. His ways are perfect. Do you believe that? You can trust the wisdom of this God. And this is a God who shares his wisdom with us. Isn't that awesome? James 1, 5 says that if if any man or woman lack wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally. He wants to give you his wisdom. And I'm not talking about the kind of wisdom that comes in the form of hindsight where two days later we think, oh, I should have done I should have said this or I I should have done that. No, I'm talking about real-time wisdom, 
in that moment wisdom, when a decision needs to be made, when an answer needs to be given. That, how many want that kind of wisdom, right? I mean, we all have hindsight wisdom where somebody comes to us and says, you know, you should have done this. I don't want that. I want the kind of wisdom in that moment when a response is needed. Amen? That's the wisdom that our God can give us. Hallelujah. How many need wisdom? Anybody? Yeah? All right. Half of you need wisdom and the other half, I don't know what you need. Maybe you need prayer, right? But he wants you to have that. Because listen, that wisdom, it will distinguish you. And in distinguishing you, it will bring glory to God. It's true. Ask Daniel, the prophet, who was able to solve a very complex problem that his boss, the king, had. No one else could figure it out, right? And so because he had the answer... He was distinguished above all others and was promoted. God wants you to give this wisdom, not just to advance you, but so that when you solve the problem, when you bring the solution, and people say, man, that was, that was great. How did you know to do that? How did you figure that out? You don't just say, well, you know, I'm a pretty smart guy. You, know? you don't say that. What you say is, you know what? I serve the Lord Jesus Christ, and he gives me wisdom, and he gives me understanding and discernment, and he helps me through these challenges in my life. Amen? He wants to give you wisdom. And then verse 14 goes on, and it says that his eyes were like a flame of fire. When I read that, I think that whatever our king sees, he sees it with perfect vision. See, fire has a way of penetrating. It has a way of purifying. It has a way of refining things and, and, re, and reducing everything to its base elements. So that means that, that, that Christ, the King, He sees through all of our facades, all of our pretense. He sees through it all. He sees the reasons, the motives, the why behind what we're doing. Right? This speaks of the perfect justice of God. That you can't fool Him Nobody can fool him. He sees it all, and he sees through it all. That's what it means. Hallelujah. These eyes like a flame of fire. It means that he sees through it. Don't you wish you could see through it all? Right? But he can see through it all. He not only sees everything we do, he sees why we do it. He sees why you want that position. He sees why you want that raise. He sees why you want that office next to that cute guy or that cute girl at work. He sees why you don't come to church. He sees why you don't want to serve or you don't want to worship. He sees what's really in our hearts and his justice and his judgment is based upon a perfect and thorough understanding of the base elements of our lives. Scripture says in Hebrews 4.13 that all things are naked and open uh, to whom we must give an account to. Nothing is hidden from His sight. He penetrates it all. When the Lord comes, 1 Corinthians 4.5 says... He will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the hearts. He sees it all. He knows it all. And He judges it all. 
And this is why we say thank God for the cross. Amen? Because that baby that was born in Bethlehem, laid in a manger, grew up to become a man who identified with mankind, who went to the cross, and on the cross the Lord laid on him the iniquities of us all. He took that sin that our righteous king sees when he looks deep into our hearts and he sees the uncleannesses and the impure motives. Jesus took that on the cross and he bore our guilt to receive the wrath of a perfect God so that now we can be cleansed and forgiven of our sin. Amen? How many realize Christmas is not just about a baby in the manger. It's about a Savior who died on the cross and rose from the dead. Amen? And then it says in verse 15 that His feet were like fine brass as if refined in a furnace. What does that mean? The feet represent that part of Christ that touched this world when He was here. Think about it. His feet walking in, the, in this world, walking amidst this fallen, broken world with its thorns and its thistles and its dirt and its mire and its muck. That Jesus walked through this cursed world this world that loves darkness rather than light. His feet touched it and carried him through it. But notice that those feet are refined in the fire. And we see often that fire is a sign of trials and tribulation, which tells us that the moment his feet touched this world, the moment he entered into this world, our Savior entered a furnace. Jesus said to his disciples, he said, know that the world hated me before it hated you. As soon as he was born, they tried to kill him. When he revealed himself to his friends and his family and his, his, his hometown people, they tried to throw him off a cliff. Everywhere he went, the Pharisees confronted him and ridiculed him and rejected him. Isaiah says he is a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. Even in the womb, they wouldn't give him a place in the inn. They made him go out in the stable and stay with the, with the donkeys. He lived his life in this broken, fallen, cursed world. He lived it as if in a furnace until finally they seized him and they bound him with ropes, and they drug him before Pilate, and he was scourged and beaten and nailed to a cross until dead and buried in a borrow tomb. His feet were refined as if in a furnace. Now here's the application, that if, that, that if you and I walk as Christ walked through this broken, fallen world, we're going to walk through a furnace as well. If you speak truth against the lies and the deception of this culture like Jesus did, if you dare say that He is the only way, the only truth, the only way to the Father, and there's no other way except through Christ like Jesus did, you will be hated, you will be rejected, and you will find yourself in a furnace just like Jesus did. 
In fact, Peter said, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. In other words, if it happened to Jesus, it's going to happen to you. But be of good cheer that Jesus, whose feet went through that fire, stands in that fire with you. It's true. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He will be that fourth man in your fire. Hallelujah. That's the Christ we serve. Now, maybe your fire isn't persecution. Maybe your fire is chemotherapy. Maybe your fire is a felony conviction. Maybe your fire is an opioid addiction that has grip on your family. Maybe your husband has been unfaithful. Maybe your wife has locked you out of the house. Maybe you feel, whatever it is, you feel like you're in the fire of your life right now. But be of good cheer. He is a God. He is a Savior. He is a Messiah who understands the fire and will not abandon you in your flames. He will bring you through. Amen? Hallelujah. And verse 15 continues and says, His voice... His voice is as the sound of many waters. The sound of many waters. Have you ever been to Niagara Falls? Anybody ever been up there? Niagara Falls. And you listen to the, the rumble and the roar of those waters. I mean, it just it overwhelms you. It just consumes and permeates your very, your very being. His voice, when he speaks, is like the sound of many waters. This is not the still small voice that we all, you know, we love to hear in the leading of the Spirit in our hearts and that intimacy, right? This is not that still small voice. This is the voice of the mighty, awesome, omnipotent God who speaks with power and authority over your life to accomplish His will. Amen? Isn't it awesome to know that the mighty God stands over your life and speaks His will over your life? Hallelujah. Verse 10, John also says that his voice was like the sound of a trumpet. When a trumpet sounds, you know, that's all you hear. Whatever you're thinking about, you stop thinking about it and you hear the trumpet. Whoever's speaking to you, whatever they're saying, they stop talking and they listen to the trumpet. This is why we need the Word of God in our hearts, in our minds, because His voice is like a trumpet. And when His Word is alive in your spirit, come on, Hebrews 4.12 says that his, his Word is alive, it's living, it's powerful, it's quick, it's sharper than a two-edged sword. It pierces the asunder, the soul and the spirit, and the joints and the marrows and the bones, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of our heart. We need to have the Word of God alive in our spirit because when His Word, His voice is alive in our spirit, it will shout like a trumpet among all other voices that are around us. How many know there are a lot of voices in this world? Amen? A lot of people trying to speak to us, a lot of media trying to tell us this and tell us that and social media. But we need, listen, we need to get, we need to get Facebook. Facebook's not the trumpet you need to be hearing right? Stop looking for Facebook to tell you how to live your life. And Instagram and Twitter and all those other feeds. You need to get the Word of God in your heart and in your mind so that His voice will be like a trumpet, the only voice that you hear among all the other clatter of this world. And then verse 16 says, He had in His right hand the seven stars. Verse 20 tells us what those seven stars are. The seven stars 
are the seven angels. And in the Greek, the word there for angels is not literally an angel in heaven. It's the word angelikos, which means messenger, and is often used to talk about human beings. In fact, John the Baptist, that word was used when referring to John the Baptist, who was God's messenger as a forerunner to Christ. So when he talks about the seven stars that are in his right hand, these are the messengers that Christ raised up to speak to his church. Human messengers, right? Think about it. Jesus didn't tell John to write a letter to angels so that angels could deliver him to the church. Jesus told John to write a letter to the messengers, to the men, to the leaders, to the people that Christ had established in those churches as messengers, right? In fact, Ephesians chapter 4 says that Christ has given gifts to the church, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. God takes hold of people and he positions them in offices and functions in the church to be his messengers, his voice speaking to the church. And don't minimize these offices. These are people that God has in his hand to speak into your life. Amen. Stars in his hand. But let me be clear to those pastors that are among us. When it says that you are stars in his hand, it doesn't mean that you're a star. You getting that? Okay. We are co-laborers with Christ, not co-stars. Hello? Right? Too many preachers today are using the pulpit to show off their star power, to make themselves shine. You're not a star. You're not supposed to shine. You're not there for the shine of the spotlight. Amen? Right? The emphasis here is not on being a star. The emphasis is on being in His hand. You're a star only in the sense that being in His hand burns off all of the flesh and all of the self and all of the ego. And the only thing left in your life is His glory shining through you. It's not your shine that we want to see. It's His glory through you that we want to see. Be careful of pastors who want to shine. Hello? Be careful of that. Right? Who demand to be honored. Who feel entitled to certain positions and privileges and want to be placed higher than everyone else. Be careful of that. Everybody say, be careful. Amen. And then verse 16 goes on and says, Out of his mouth went a sharp, two-edged sword. Let's be clear that this two-edged sword, this sharp two-edged sword, is a weapon that Christ is using against His enemies. Revelation 19.15 says he will, he will use that sword that comes out of His mouth to strike the nations. This is a picture. Come on, let's be clear. This is a picture of a king who is coming to punish his enemies. I know this is not the Christmas message, that you want. But it's a picture of Jesus that we don't talk too much about 
today, especially at Christmas. You know, the world loves it when we talk about the baby in the manger. I mean, a baby is so inoffensive. A baby makes no demands. A baby, you know, so easy to get. The world loves Jesus, who's the baby in the manger. But Jesus, listen, Jesus is no longer swaddling in a manger. He is a coming king who will strike the nations with the power and the authority of His Word. Ephesians 6 tells us that a sword is a metaphor for the Word of God. Now that doesn't mean that Jesus is going to come back and do battle like, you know, Bravehearts swinging a claymore. That's not what it's talking about here. It's referring to the power of His spoken Word. The Bible says that in the beginning, He spoke and He said, let there be light. And when he spoke, it was all created. Amen? Right? Hebrews 11.3 says that the worlds were framed by the Word of God. He comes back and he speaks. And just like at creation, when he's, the moment he speaks, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Every eye will see Him. Even the, uh, those that pierced Him and all of the world will mourn because of Him. Because in that moment they will relieve. They will realize that the one that they scorned, the one that they mocked, the one that they denied is truly, is indeed the Almighty God, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. All will bow before Him. Those who mocked Him, those who denied Him, every king, every lord, every celebrity, every present, president, every person who ever lived, Joe Biden will bow before Him. Putin will bow before Him. The emperor of China, Xi Jinping, will bow. Can you imagine? Will bow before Him. Your friends will bow. Your family will bow. You will bow. I will bow. In that moment, all will bow before Him. Hallelujah. Because when we behold His countenance, verse 16 says that His countenance was like the sun shining in all of its strength. Who can stand against that? Who can resist that? This is our King. Not a helpless baby in a manger, but a mighty King who reigns over the nations. Right now, He reigns over the nations. Let me invite the worship team to join me. Right now, He is a mighty King. And He is sovereign over the nations. Now, it may not seem like He reigns over the nations. Because listen, we are in a period right now. We are in an era right now where the kingdoms of this world are in rebellion against the Creator. Are you hearing what I'm saying? That's our, you know, they talk a lot about cultural moments. I'll give you a cultural moment. Every rebellion, every nation on planet Earth is in rebellion against Almighty King, Jesus Christ. America is in rebellion. All of Europe in rebellion. Africa Asia, Australia, in rebellion against the king. Where man has thrust out his chest and stuck his chin in the air and shakes his fist at God and says, we will rule how we want to rule and you will not have authority over us. 
You might say, well, why does God not step forward and assert himself? Because his timing is perfect. It may not yet be midnight, but midnight is coming. Come on, tell somebody, midnight is coming. It's coming. There is coming a day, as Revelation 11:15 says, when the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our Lord, and he shall reign forever and ever. It's coming. He's coming. Now it begins with the rapture of the church. Talked about this last week. Which is followed by a period of great tribulation where an antichrist, a global ruler, will arise and will amass the armies of the world around Israel to destroy Jerusalem and wipe it off the face of the map forever. You know, Israel has always been a point of conflict in the, in the history of the world. Have you noticed that? It's always been a point of conflict. But the Bible talks about that there will be a moment where the world will, get, will unite in rebellion against God and against Israel. And the Bible gives it a name and calls it Armageddon. Everybody say Armageddon. And in that moment, where the nations of the world have gathered in a final act of rebellion, as that old song says, we shall behold him. The sky shall unfold, preparing his entrance. The stars shall applaud him with thunders of praise. The angels shall sound the shout of his coming, and the sleeping shall rise from their slumbering place. Those who remain shall be changed in a moment, and we shall behold him then face to face in all of his glory, our Savior, our Lord. Come on, let's stand together. He's coming. He's coming. He's not a baby lying in a manger any longer. Hallelujah. He's a king who is the ruler over the nations. Come on, let's lift a hand to the Lord right now. Let's lift a hand to the Lord. And let's just worship him for a moment. We exalt you, Lord. Come on, lift that other hand to the Lord. Just say, Lord, I give you glory. I give you praise. I worship you. For you are the King of kings. You are the Lord of lords. We exalt your name, Lord God. Behold him. We exalt you, Lord. Behold him. Yes, Lord.
give him praise. We do, Lord. We exalt you. We give you praise, Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. So you may be here today. You may be watching at uh, Mission Church Online. And you feel like you don't really understand fully who Jesus is and what the Bible is, is all about. And, but you realize that you need, you need Jesus in your life. You realize that if today you were to stand before God, you would not be ready. Well, the Bible is all about how you can be ready. The Bible is all about what God has done to make a provision for you so your sins can be forgiven and you can have the assurance of eternal life. That provision is named Jesus. He died on the cross, took your sins with him on the cross. He took the punishment that you and I deserved. He died the death we should have died, was buried in a tomb we should have been buried in. And then he rose from the dead. And when he rose from the dead, it was that bold proclamation of heaven that what Jesus did for us on the cross was accepted by God the Father. Now he offers to each of us a gift of eternal life. And all we need to do is accept the gift. Have to accept the gift and say, yes, Lord, come into my life, forgive my sins, be my Lord, be my Savior. If that's you, I want to lead you in a prayer right now. Right now. Just bow your head and just repeat these words in prayer by faith to the Lord. Come on, say it with me. Heavenly Father, I admit that I'm a sinner, but I believe Jesus Christ, God the Son, died on the cross for me. And I ask Jesus to come into my life, cleanse me of sin, be Lord and Savior of my life, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. So if you prayed that prayer, if you're online, contact our church, email us, message us so we can reach out to you. If you prayed that prayer for the first time here today, stop at the Welcome Center. We have some information for you. We want to pray for you a little more and explain some things to you. Hallelujah. Merry Christmas. But when we say that, let's not think about a baby in a manger. Let's think about a Christ who is coming. Amen? Amen? Come on, give the Lord a praise. You're awesome, Lord, and we give you praise. God bless you, church. I know some of us need to go. you got to get your kids out of Children's Church. But if you want to worship, just remain and linger for a little bit, and let's worship the Lord.